This is Dave Gans, Senior Fellow for Industry Affairs. I'm here with Nate Moore. Nate is Chief Executive Officer of Moore Solutions. Moore Solutions looks at, from an analytical perspective, how practices can improve operations and improve their profitability. So we're going to talk today about benchmarking ideas and also, more importantly, how the executives in the practice can create an environment of a focus on profitability and a focus on what will be important to the sustainability of their organizations. Nate, do you want to give us a little bit of your background? Thanks, Dave. Welcome, everybody. Those of you who've heard me speak before at MGMA events, I'm the guy that wears the Aloha shirt. I tell folks, if you can report like this, you can dress like this. And it's all about using your data in ways that can change the way your practice sees your data, the way it sees your physician operation. And Dave and I have been friends for a long time, and we're just here to talk today for a few minutes about how to use your data, how to get a sense for what's going on in your practice, and compare it and benchmark it to what other practices are doing. Well, Nate, you're going to speak at the uh, MGMA Financial Management Conference in, Feb- in uh, March 2019. Uh, what, are the t- what are the two sessions you're presenting there? There's two sessions. The first one's about beating the benchmarks. We're going to take some of MGMA's practice operations survey and get a sense for what the benchmarks are for operational kind of details in terms of front desk and billing office and some of those kind of productivity things. And we're going to look at productivity from that sense. We're also going to look at some of MGMA's data around physician productivity and what can we do to help physicians be more productive. We're not going to tell physicians, hey, you got to work harder, but what can we control to make physicians more productive and better leverage their time. That's the first session. Second session, Dave, we're going to talk about dashboards. Better dashboards, better decisions. How are practices currently using dashboards, custom dashboards, to drive decision-making in their practice? And we'll have examples from practices around the country of what people are currently using to try to drive decision-making in their practice. Well, yeah, let's, let's go back and look at the first topic. Okay. You know, that here, here we're going to see what are best practices. What can we, in fact, let's, let's start at the, at the big picture. What can an executive in a practice do to create an environment where they're going to be most profitable? I think it's a lot easier to think, well, you know, I'll just cut expenses, cut expenses, cut expenses. But as Dave and I look at the data and MGMA's survey data, you know, revenues are such a big driver of this, Dave. We both know that. And what can we do to make those positions more effective, more efficient? Let me throw some ideas at you. We'll talk about it in this session. One of the things we'll look at is, you know, if a physician's there and we have a no-show appointment, or if we have unsold appointments, or if we have patients that you know think they need to see this subspecialty and they see the wrong subspecialty, so they, now they got to see a different subspecialty. And we're taking up extra appointments, and we there are a lot of things we can control that can leverage physician productivity without just saying, "Hey, the doc's got to work hard." Well, you see, as I said, you're setting an environment, and some of it is a culture thing too. Yes. Some of the culture is I spoke in a meeting in Portland earlier this year. And, one of the folks in the back said, well, I used to work in an academic practice, and there were 100-plus providers and 1,500 different appointment types. I mean, you're not going to optimize that in a million years. Yeah. And what can we do to – and some of it is it's a culture thing, Dave. You got Maybe you have to take a little bit of the control away from the physicians and say, you can't always see a blue-haired, brown-eyed patient with diabetes between ages 40 and 41 on Tuesdays. Yeah. You've got to be a, a little more open to your schedule, and we've got to do a better job of filling that schedule and making sure that your time is used efficiently. So let's give an example. You know, we'll start it with scheduling. Okay. Scheduling says you make the optimal use of the doctor's time. Absolutely. What would be a best practice in scheduling? There are a couple of things that I would look at in scheduling. I did a presentation last year for MGMA that said if you can see your appointment data, you can see the future. And so if you can mine your appointment data and you talk about best practices, I think what can you do to see and reduce no-shows? 
and maybe you mine your data and you say, well, you know, on Tuesday mornings or Friday afternoons, I'm more likely to have no-shows. Or if I see X amount of Medicaid patients, or if I see Y amount of seniors, or whatever kind of patterns I can discern in my data, I'm going to double book. Or I'm going to look at my template and I'm going to say, here's my open appointment slots. And I'm going to track those historically and say, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm roping off seats on the plane and I, I'm, I'm never going to fill them if I don't have my template set right, if I'm too picky, if I'm blocking time for things I don't need to block for. And we need to see those unsold appointments and reduce them. Yeah. From your observation, what percentage of organizations actually mine and, and analyze their appointment sketches? Let, let me give you an, an interesting okay. statistic from my friends at MGMA Stat. Okay. MGMA Stat did a survey last fall, and what they said was, do you track unsold appointments? Yeah. And they had four answers, and one of them was, I've got a system-generated report, mm -hmm. and then I, I've got a custom report, I do it manually, and I don't do it at all. And the system-generated and the custom report was about half, and the other half, there's about 15%, I said I do it manually, and the rest didn't do it at all. And if you do it manually, if you're counting unsold appointments, you're not doing it at all, Dave. Yeah. It's too hard. Yeah, that's right. So, to answer your question, about half of them don't have visibility to unsold appointments. The plane's taken off with empty seats, and you don't know it. Yeah. And if you're not measuring it, you can't manage it. Yeah, that's right. Let, let's just go back and presume that you want to do this. Okay, what what should that chief operating officer be instructing their, their staff to look for? I think you want to go to your IT department and say, this data is in our system. Yep. This, I mean, in, in particularly if you have access to your data and, and it's stored in, in your network in-house and you can get your IT department to do it. And if you can't, find outside IT help that can. But get to that data and start to look for patterns. What does my appointment data tell me? It's gonna tell me about no-shows. It's gonna tell me about unsold appointments. Another thing we haven't talked about is physician availability. Yeah. And third next available is, is one of those data points that we're gonna talk about from the production operations survey that MGMA does. We're also gonna talk about a days to schedule metric to try to say how available are my physicians? How hard is it to get in to see my guys? And that's a very location specialty dependent topic, Dave, as you well know. Yeah. I mean, well, some markets, it's yeah, 30 right. days is unacceptable. In other markets, 30 days is the best thing since sliced bread because the university is at six months. Yes. Well, also, this gets you in the opportunity to look at have your doctors given special instructions to the scheduling staff don't schedule me Friday afternoons. Leave, leave my Wednesdays open or whatever. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of organizations are not aware of how their schedules are, are put together and they look at the inequities of the results of some physicians having much more appointments and much more revenue being generated, but they aren't going back to looking why. It starts at the beginning at the appointment schedules. You're exactly right. You, you, you're focused on something I think that's critical and we're going to talk about. You've got to figure out where's my physician availability, and if they're not as available, why aren't they? And it's yeah. not just physicians, Dave. Yeah. I worked with practice where their advanced practitioners would see that things would look light on Friday and they'd move all the Friday afternoon appointments to Friday morning and then block Friday afternoon and then they'd open it up if it ever got busy. Well, you think it ever got busy? I mean, it's like <laughs> roping off planes at Delta and saying, I'm never gonna sell the last 30 seats yeah. and wondering why the plane's you know, half empty. So again, looking at data gives you that insight. You and, have to. And that's that's something that you know, your chief operating officer can look at very quickly, quick analysis, and then get a more detailed report on why things are happening. And if you can't, you need to talk to IT and say, we got, we've got it. This data drives revenue. It drives performance. We've got to get this data. Okay. Well, we look at the beginning, which is scheduling. What, what would be the next thing that you could look at? One of the things that we looked at is how do we help physicians be more productive? So we've, got the, we, we've kind of taken away some of these obstacles on the scheduling, the appointment side. And then the question is, you got to look at how your physicians are compensated and making sure that compensation aligns with your goals because mm -hmm. you're going to get what your reward. Yep. One of the things that we've looked at, we've tried to get our arms around 
physician compensation, this is very culture specific too, Dave, yeah. but I work with groups that um, rank their providers in a dashboard they share with everybody. They don't blind or mask their physicians at all. They say, here's everybody. I work with a neurosurgery group who ranks their neurosurgeons one to 32. And there's not, I mean, neurosurgeons have never been second in anything, right? And here they are, they're number seven. And how can that be? And physicians are naturally competitive. And I think sometimes it's a culture thing, but sometimes we're a little too protective of the information and we don't show these providers how they're doing in relation yeah. to their peers. And maybe you have to do that by subspecialty, Dave, but yep. you can still do that, is, is, is share that information and say, here's what your peers are doing. Simple, mm-hmm. in theory. In theory. <laughs> yeah. And then I mean, you may have to adjust and work over time. To just, maybe you just show everybody stay yeah. to start with before you rank them. Yeah. But you can do things like that to share information and say, this is, you know, this is what we're doing. Another thing I found effective is if physicians agree, this is the way we're going to run our business and we're all going to do this, to measure that and report it to them and say, this is, the, this is how we're all going to do it. I'll give you an example from a group that said, for everybody that comes in for a procedure, we're going to take a deposit. If you're going to do a surgical procedure, we're going to get a deposit. And the compliance with that agreement is about 15% of this practice, one five. Yeah. And so what, we, what we're going to do is we're going to measure this thing and we're going to share that, not quite name and shame, Dave, yes, but we're going to right. share that. Yep. And so people can see and compare their performance to others. And I think folks are naturally competitive if we can get them the right information. Yeah. Yeah, as we talk about physician productivity, something I've always observed is many organizations, they actually constrain productivity because in the interest of cost savings, they cut till it hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, they remove support staff until somebody complains. Mm-hmm. You know, or they don't fill open positions mm-hmm. because uh, we're trying to save money on staff and support. Okay. Well, what this oftentimes results in is that you have doctors or non-physician providers doing you know, based essentially clinical work of their support staff. Or heaven forbid clerical work. Clerical work. Or even, cl- well, that's, that's another story. Yeah, yeah, heaven forbid. <laughs> heaven forbid. So how can a practice assess its staffing levels? And is the doctors getting support? Because it's, it's not just complaints. You know, there's, there's got to be ways to look at it on a more objective basis. And you may have some benchmarking data. Mm-hmm. You can speak to that better than anybody. Yep. And I think that's a place to start with some benchmarks. And I think the other thing to try to look at is to try to, we're in a session at um, MGMA's annual conference in Boston just yesterday talking about this, and one of the participants in the conversation said, you know, I go and listen to my providers and say, where are the obstacles? Where are the hurdles? What's keeping you from being more productive? Yeah. And then we do things that are within our power to do it, and it gives us credibility with the physicians to say they raise a concern and we solve it. But they listen to say, what can we do to take away these barriers? And if I just had one more support staff, or you know what, I'm waiting for the x-ray. Yeah. And my, I'm sitting here waiting while you know three patients are backed up in x-ray. What can we do? You know, let's yeah. figure out who needs an x-ray today, yeah. and let's get all out of the front office and get them the x-ray right. before they come to me. Well, also, I think, so oftentimes, you want not only look at the macro view, but also look at a micro view. Go ahead and look at what is the staffing for each doctor in the practice. Mm-hmm. Do they have a dedicated MA, mm-hmm. or do they share a pool? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Both models can work very well, depending on the cultural organization. Mm-hmm. But if they're sharing an MA, and that doctor is on vacation or on medical CME, what's the MA doing? Oh, they're catching up on the doctor's work. <laughs> well, maybe they could be supporting another physician, <laughs> another provider to, to make that doctor more efficient. But that's a micro view of saying, for each physician, what is the normal staffing pattern? And how do they accommodate the doctor's needs if we have a staff member who is sick or they have, they're on vacation? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we support them? Because are we just let the doctors work as hard as they can, even though we constrain them? Yeah. Right, right. And, and then we go back and say, hey, you should have worked harder. Should have worked harder. We now, bl- we now blame the doctor when it was reality. It was we didn't give the doctor the resources they needed. Well, Dave, 
too often we say the problem is out there. And as long as the problem's out there, there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. And there's stuff we can do. Yes. There's stuff yeah. we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also I uh, had the opportunity to interview David Baker several months ago that talked about facility design mm-hmm. and how the design of the facility influences throughput. Well, this is very related that do we have an examination room that is designed to meet the needs of the doctor? Mm-hmm. Or did it was designed to meet the most reasonably priced products, regardless of how it's effect on productivity? We've been doing this for 30 years, Dave. Yeah. Just leave it alone. <laughs> leave it alone. Yeah. yeah. We've always had it this way. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> or do we, you know, and I know many organizations go to extraordinary means to have standardized exam rooms. So the same instruments are always in the same drawer. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. way the doctor or their nurse can pull that instrument out when they need it immediately and not have to look. Or worst case, find it's not there and have to go search mm-hmm. somewhere else, which results in longer patient visits, puts the doctor behind schedule, and influences you know, productivity. Let's talk one more thing about schedule just for fun. Okay. You know, I think the front desk is kind of, it doesn't just set the tone for your practice in the first person you see, but the front desk sets the tone for your day in a lot of ways. If you get backed up at the front desk, I mean, it's just going to snowball. Yeah. And what can we do? And again, back to your comment of what, how do we make sure the front desk has the optimal amount of resources so that we're we're getting patients back, we're rooming them timely. What do we measure? How do we do that so that the doctor at the end, of, you know, the doctor's at the end of the row here, right? Yes. And we got to we got to optimize everything until they get to the position. If the doctor's sitting waiting for a patient to be roomed or waiting for an X-ray or waiting for the MA to finish or whatever it is, we're not getting paid for that wait. Yeah. It, we're wait. We're wasting time and we're wasting resources. Absolutely. What else would you look at the organization's productivity or profitability? What else would you be looking at? There's a big thought and a big discussion around patient access now and how hard is it to, or for patients to get to our providers. And there's a bunch of different components of how hard is it. In other words, well, how long does it take to schedule the appointment? But how hard is it to get access, even get to the appointment? In other words, how hard is it to deal with my portal? Or how, how much time do I have to spend on hold to get the appointment? Or how hard is it to get in to see me in the to even get to the appointment to, to yeah. get in to see me in the first place. Yes. And some of those access issues, we did another MGMA stat survey. You can tell I like MGMA yeah. stat. They, just recently, the past, uh, four weeks ago, they did a survey that said, how do you feel about your patient access? And there was, there was a limited amount that thought it was high. Most were in the middle and some that were low. And some of the comments were just some real frustration about it's too hard to get to see my providers. As medicine becomes more consumer-ish and people can choose you know, are we losing patients and losing productivity because it's too hard to see our folks? Yeah, and just because you're busy is not necessarily good because also if you are a primary care practice and your patients can't get in to see an appointment, they'll go elsewhere. They'll go elsewhere. Yeah, and if they're, you're especially practiced, the same thing occurs and you may not even know it. In primary care, you, you, you might figure out that patients are moving elsewhere because you're going to get requests for records. Mm-hmm. But in a specialty practice, if you're a referral, you just never got the referral. And it's only if you got feedback by the referring doctor that they can't get a patient in to see you. Are you going to know that? And, and some of the time, Dave, that referral pattern's changed. The water's you know, down the row, and you know, and you, you, you know, six months later, it's too late. Yes. So is there a metric? That's, yeah. Uh, we talked about time to third available appointment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what other metric would you want to look at that would give a, a general gauge for, for access? There are two. Uh, time to third, and that, that's one that's in MGMA's per, um, production operations survey. And it's simply the, what the, in the old days, you'd make an appointment for Mickey Mouse, and you see, all right, how, how long is it to get the third next available appointment? 
or Mickey Mouse, maybe as a new patient and as an established patient for each of your providers. Yeah. And I, I worked with a group that was paying somebody to come in 45 minutes early and, and make all these appointments. I'm like, man, Dan, your, your system knows all this stuff. Make, make SQL Server do this. And they yeah. do. And so they store it and they track it over time by subspecialty to say, is it getting easier or harder? The other metric I look at is one called days to schedule. If you look at days to third, the third next available appointment, and by the way, the reason we do third, as you well know, Dave, is to take the noise out of the day. And if you happen yeah. to have a short-term cancellation or for whatever yeah. reason they happen to be a little bit more available today, you take that noise out. But you only get, when you do days to third, you only get one sample point per day. You might yeah. get two if you do a new one and establish, yeah. but that's what you get a data point or two, and that's what you get. If you look at days to schedule, what you do is you scoop up all your appointments. And every time you make the appointment, the system is going to know the day you created the appointment and the date of the appointment. And you take the, the delta between those two yes. dates. And that'll tell you how hard is it to get in to see my provider. So now I've got a data point for every appointment I've got in my system. The other advantage of days to schedule is I can't look back to last February and see what was the third next available appointment for somebody that called on February 1st. There are yeah. too many things that changed. Yeah. 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 Right. Or unless you recorded that and kept it as, as in your log. You have to record it. That's yeah. my point. You're yeah. exactly right. If you don't record it, it's too late. So you can start today and do days to third, and I say you should. Yeah. But if you want to get historical data, you can always go back and look at the days to schedule metric, look at all the appointments in your system, and with that, now you've got multiple data points. You can say, what if I'm a Medicare patient and I want to see this subspecialty? I can tell you how long it took last February because I've got that yeah. subspecialty. Yeah. I got Medicare patients last February. I got those yeah. appointments. I can tell you. Yeah. And your practice management and your electronic health record system has the data. Now, you may not know how to easily get it out, which is now a call to your vendor. That's right, or, or your, your IT group, whether you, I've got groups that get it you know, from in-house IT or they outsource IT, but you've got to go get that data yeah. because you've got to get a sense, I mean, providers aren't cheap. Well, advanced practitioners aren't cheap. Yeah. Nothing's cheap. And you've got to know if you're going to hire somebody, it's this subspecialty and I'm going to put them in this market at this location and that's why. Yeah. Because yeah. i got data to back it up. All right. Let's, let's move on to another topic, benchmarking okay. all right? and also uh, specific performance metrics okay. and dashboards. Okay. All related, because obviously the dashboard is a presentation of metrics. Mm -hmm. The benchmark is a comparison. You know, in just a quick summary, what would you consider key points in this area? What are the most important things? Let's think about that, Dave. I think my answer to that question is it's very practice-specific. Mm -hmm. For example, if your practice is compensated based on the which-kill model, is that, okay, is that collections? Then dang it, you know, I'm going to put collections at the top, top left of that dashboard, prime <laughs> location, right? Because if I'm going to email this to my providers or however I'm going to get my providers to get it, yeah. I want them to open the email, right? Yeah. I want them to open the dashboard, right? So I'm going to put that front and center on my dashboard, okay. and I'm going to give them, but I'm, I don't want to just give them a collections number of X, right? I want to give them some something to compare it to. I want them to know what was it last month or same month last year or rolling six months, and that's all practice specific too. Yeah. What you've got to do is you've got to look at how what metrics matter to my practice, and that's going to be very different from a specialty practice to primary care, and it's going to differ depending upon your market, depending upon your physician group. Right. Well, and also I think it depends on the organization. A uh, very good example, I've had very good conversations with executives, administrators in federally qualified health centers. Okay. They have a very different patient population, mm -hmm. but a different mission as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and they, but they may oftentimes use the exact same metrics and view them differently. That's right. FQHC example that may not be what's on the top left highlight part of the dashboard. Yeah, that's it right. It may be a different because our mission is different and our and our goal is different. And I think whether you're not for profit or not, you got to keep the doors open. There are metrics that you want that practices will want to measure that aren't all collections related. That's right. I think best example is, you know, if you're doing con continual patient experience surveys, mm -hmm. what's your patient experience scores? And because that, ch that gives you a different perspective than if you were only looking at 
days to schedule, our total collections, our total work RVUs, or mm-hmm. some other measure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've got. To, I know many organizations now are starting to track specific quality metrics by doctor. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and I think earlier you said if you measure it, you can manage it. Absolutely. Well, okay. If you choose key quality metrics, such as if you're an OB gym practice, are you know, have, are you doing specific pr- scheduling, specific procedures on women in your practice? If you're a pediatrics practice, what's the immunization rate for the children? Uh, diabetes, diabetes care. care. You know, uh, foot exams, eye exams for diabetics. What is your percentage of patients with flu shots? And you can track this practice-wide and provider specific. Okay. And then you can look at the results. And I think what you can do is you can go to, go to payers and say, you know, Look, look how easy it is for us to get into our practice. I work with groups that are adding urgent care. I'm saying, look, yes. it's easy to get into us, and it's saving you uh, an ER visit, or it's saving yes. you this and that, these other costs, because we're taking care of it in-house with the provider they already know and trust. Right. And there's, there, there's value to that. Yeah. And, you, and if that's what matters to your to your practice, dang it, that's on the front page of your dashboard. dashboard. Yeah. How big should the dashboard be? <laughs> you know what? I, I hate to tell you everything depends on the practice, but I'm telling you that, too. That it depends upon the practice. Most of the groups I work with, I said, you know what, you got eight and a half by eleven, baby. You got one sheet of paper. You got to put it on there, and that's what matters. And no fine print. And, and you know, none of this six-point font stuff. Yeah. That's exactly right. But I've got other groups that where the doctors are more engaged and they're more numbers-oriented or whatever. And we'll do a multiple-page thing, and they'll get it every month, and they'll, and they'll go through it. I think it's important to work with your docs to say what matters to you. Yeah. And if you have you know, ten docs, you might get more than ten opinions. But if you can coalesce around, this is what matters to us. And I think you can't let perfect be the enemy of getting started. Yeah. you got to get something out there and say, all right, you know, we're going to get something on the page, we're going to send it to everybody for three or four months, and we're going to see what it does. Well, I think you mentioned something important. It says send it to everybody for three or four months, and that's consistency. Uh-huh. You know, you don't want one dashboard this month and a new dashboard next month. I like your comment about put it on the upper left-hand corner because it's there every time, uh-huh. and you know where to look. Yeah, it's the, you know where to look. It's the first thing you look at. And, you know, the worst of all worlds, Dave, is if, you, if somehow the computer blows up or whatever and there's no – dashboard for the month of October and nobody says anything, that's a problem. Because <laughs> nobody, nobody missed it. Nobody missed it. Yes, sir. That's a problem. Let's, let's go back and look at that chief operating officer. What do you think the chief operating officer would want to look at overall? Maybe some finance, but you got a CFO to do that too. That's true. Yeah. So what would an operations officer or chief medical officer be looking for? See, I think there's some things around the patient experience. I like what you said about the patient, the, the, the surveys and those kind of things. I work with groups that measure wait times. I work with a group in Indiana that puts the wait times on an on-time board, broadcast onto a TV screen in their lock, like an airline would, right? Yes. And most practices I show that to are like, man, you're crazy. But I'm like, man, your patients aren't stupid. No. They know they've been waiting for 30 minutes. That's right. But if I tell you, hey, look, this, if I walk into the office and happen to know the doctor's 20 minutes behind today, and they're up front with me and they're accurate on the time, that's way better than me just sitting there flying well, by. Actually, my primary care office, when you walk in, they it's a, it happens to be a whiteboard mm-hmm. behind behind the receptionist. It lists which providers are here today because uh, not every provider is in the office every day. Right, right. And it says, are, are they on time? If they're not on time, and it'll, say either, it'll say on time, mm-hmm. or it'll say how, how late are they running. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, the term open disclosure is important, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it, it's a culture thing. How many times have you and I said on this, in this conversation, it's yes. a culture thing, and you've got to work your way to that. But I think we're going to be patient-focused here. We're going to tell the patients what, you know, what's going on. And we're yes. Gonna, and, and, and I think if we can get a better feel for staffing levels, and what back to your comment, Dave, about what, do I, what are my impediments to productive providers? Where's the optimal staffing level? Exam rooms aren't cheap. 
No. And, and if we can optimize the space we already have through efficient scheduling and saying, well, Dr. Smith might be here Tuesday afternoons, we don't know. I mean, we, yeah. I can't leave that whole pod or that whole hall open right. for might be, right? And yeah. if we can get some efficiency metrics to say, what's my percentage of sold appointments? What's my percentage of you know, capacity around room utilization or some of my ancillary stuff, that utilization? Yeah. If I've got imaging or whatever it is I've got in my practice, if I can get some of those utilization kind of numbers with trends, right? right. Whatever matters to you in your practice, is it last week, last month, last year? What, are, what matters to me? Give me context for that number. I think that's important. Yeah, it is. Also, there are some innovative ways to staff an organization. I've you know, had an opportunity to talk with a practice, happened to be at, at the MGM Annual Conference, that for a variety of reasons, they had an excess number of physicians and, and a shortage of examiners because it had to be construction. Well, what they found is that they had one group of doctors work from 7 a.m. in the morning till 3 in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and another group came in at 3 and worked till, till 8 o'clock that night, and they, they ran shifts on Saturdays and Sundays. And after six months, they realized this was working extremely well. Patients loved the access opportunities, and their costs of running that practice went down by, by 30%. It's got to be cheaper to build a new building. That's right. It was. It has to be. There are innovative solutions. For the the sixth time in this conversation or whatever, it's culture, right? You've got to find the right culture and the right thing that works for you. That's right. But you've got to think outside the box on this stuff and say, what else can I do to compete in today's marketplace? Yeah. And let's take what would be lessons learned? What would be your suggestions for an organization's executives about how they're going to choose the right metrics for the organization and how they're going to use them. What I would do, my, my A1, the first thing I want to do is get access to as much data as I possibly can around the issue. Because I've got to be able to identify the problems, I've got to be able to identify my trends, my history, my whatever. So if, if I know that access is a problem in my practice, or no-shows are a problem, or whatever it is that's the issue, if I can get some data, if I can get that data and start to get some patterns and some trends and decide, here's where I've been, Here's a goal and a benchmark of where I need to be, and what do I measure, and how do I drive to that performance? I think that's what I want on my dashboard. Not, not simple, but not that complex either. No, sir. Yeah. No, sir. It's just doing the right things and finding the right information. Find, no, get to the right information, and if you know, and if that means a box of donuts for IT, then oh my goodness, make it you know, <laughs> the frost the box of donuts already. I mean, but get the data, and then once you've got it then you've got to be able to drill down and when you're talking to pivot table guy, whether you use pivot tables or some kind of dashboard tool or Excel or whatever, understand what those trends are, get your arms around where you've been, and then be able to measure where you're going. Excellent advice. Nate, thank you so much. I truly appreciate the time, your effort, and especially the information you have. Dave, it's always great to talk with you, my friend. Thank you so much again.